If there's someone in this room who's more of a fury, it's definitely not you, mate. <laughs> Alrighty, g'day, g'day, and welcome back to A Lot To Talk About. Another show, but this week we're spicing it up, a little something different. So we've listened to what you guys want, we listen to what you're keen for, and the common thread is, you know, give us a bit of diversity. So we're building a platform, a platform where A Lot To Talk About becomes the umbrella. There's so many things falling underneath it, and those things are basically everything that we love as you know, 18 to 35-year-olds and beyond and before, you know, the the podcast platform itself has been built off people like me, like Jed, who just love all things pop culture and culture in Australia and around the world. And, you know, there's a few things that come under that culture better. It's human story, which we talk about a lot already in the pod and will continue to. It is what's trending, what's happening on socials, what's happening with fashion, with food, with lifestyle. But there's one thing that unites us all, especially as Australians, and that's sport. So we decided let's do a weekly rundown where you get to hear all the headlines with a little spin on them in our own very unique way. And we thought, well, it's going to be myself. It's going to be sports guy, a.k.a. Jed Wells, um, who is a new addition to the show and definitely the brains of the sports show. He's a sports journalist. Um, And then you guys know and love Liam Duffman Duffy. Um, but he can't be here today because he fucked up his schedule. Um, so, you know, three guys talking about sport. What do we call it? Welcome to blokes and their balls. Episode one, the pilot. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, mate. So, How are we feeling? Feeling really good. Feeling really good. It's nice to be in here. Last week, we kind of done like a, call it a preseason, you know. We, we jumped on Zoom. Bit of a training camp. A little bit of a trial, and it was good. Like, the energy's good, and we're really looking forward to bringing this to you guys. Obviously... Um, as three guys who enjoy their sport, we can't talk about it all, right? Because that would take forever. We're also not experts in it all. So we're really going to talk on the things that we love and try to touch on some of the other stuff too and keep it fun and exciting and lighthearted for you guys. <clears throat> Excuse my voice, I was going a bit cloony there. And we just want to make sure that you enjoy it. So give us plenty of feedback. Um, we'd love to hear the responses. But um, this is kind of run by the man himself. So... We've got a run sheet. Rollers from the top. What's we happening? We do have a run sheet. We've got all the headlines of the last week in sport. We'll go through it, give our thoughts, opinions. We start with our play of the week. And for my play of the week, it's got to be NRL grand final, second half. Cody Walker goes for the long pass and Steve Crichton just plucks it out of thin air, runs it, puts it down. That's a try. Mate, how was that? Look, let me say, there's two things. Everyone knows how I feel about Souths. I'm a Rooster supporter. Roosters till I die. South, for me, the team number 16 on the ladder. I do not like them at all. And there was nothing that gave me so much joy. There was nothing that gave me more joy, I should say, this season than watching Cody Walker floater just get absolutely picked out of the sky like a fucking lemon off a tree and watching Stephen Crichton just put on the afterburners. You know, the getaway sticks were just fucking moving. And I'm like, that's the best thing that could have happened for Penrith to win this game. It was such a momentum move too because Crichton's a second early or late. That goes over his head. The right, wingers have got a clear run there. Souths take it. So ballsy thing, move as well. Like I respect it. Like that close of a game to go for it. Unreal. Yeah. The thing is, Crichton was pretty quiet that game. You know, like I remember he, he come in off 
coming off the wing to take a run on first or second tackle late in the game. And I remember saying to my old boy, we're watching it together. I was like, he's been pretty quiet today. And they just didn't get much opportunity to get the ball wide. It was such a defensive game. You know, they were really locked up and tied up there for the best part of it. And when he took that intercept, I was like, it's quite funny that it's almost like his energy reserves were waiting for the moment, like the destiny to win the grand final for Penrith. And, you know, lucky enough, he, he was close enough to the post for clear to put the two over. Um, almost just a sweet watching Adam Reynolds swing a little bit to the right a couple of minutes later. So I'm a big fan of that play of the week. Rough five minutes for Reynolds there. Misses the field goal, then misses mm. the, the the kick as well. Like Yeah, like... You've got to feel for him, but... You do feel for him. And look, carrying a bit of an injury, and so many of them are in the grand final. You get to that point of the year where I don't think you can expect many players to be fresh going into a grand final. Um, you hear the stories about Penrith. You hear the stories about Reynolds. You know, both teams holding a heap of injuries. I thought... I was, I was a little bit nervous because Reynolds is usually really good from the sideline, but I knew with that groin... And I think there were even, you know, I may be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure there are a few conversions throughout the final series where Taff had stepped up to take the kick because Reynolds was nursing that groin. Um, but, you know, he's off to Brizzy next year. He's, he's obviously been a big part of their club for so long now. I was more sad for Benji. But, you know, you would have liked to have seen Benji get a bit of a send-off. But, you know, if you wanted a send-off, don't play for South. Yeah, look, I was rooting for the Panthers. I've got a few mates I know that go for him, but you saw Benji on the field there and there was a little part of it. It was like, I hope he makes the play. I hope he, yeah. I hope he makes the run. I hope he scores, scores the points, gets there yeah. somehow. And he didn't do it in the end, but it's an achievement even getting back there. Like everyone thought he was done a few years ago and to be where he is now. Yeah. It's crazy. They spoke about it in his press conference the other day where he done like a little, little press conference, which was really for the fans, just like a, a more formal catch you later and um, au revoir. Fancy word for you. Um, and he, you could just tell that like there was a real sense of pride and achievement that he was able to come back from. You know, when he stepped away from league, he was he was losing a little bit of a touch, and he went over and he played rugby, and it didn't really work out. I think how he'd hoped or how we'd all hoped as fans. Like rugby's such a different game, and not many really, unless they're wingers or centers, not many of them really convert all that well across. Like especially in those key positions and. You know, I thought to come back and to fight his way back into top sides in league and the way that he had to change his game to adjust for his age and he really become like a settling and quite calming nature for the players around him. And that wasn't the Benji that we all knew and loved as he came up and as he won that 05 grand final where it was, it was flashy, there's a lot of flair, you know, the flick passes, the steps, like he lost all of that out of his game. But this year for, for them, he was almost like what Joey Manu was for the Roosters. That guy who could step in, play any position. He played in the centres one game, in a big game. Um, you know, he played in the halves. He, he popped in a hooker. He popped in a lock. He really played a lot of positions across the ground, and he, he was key for them this year. I think without him, you know, South would have been a different side. And, you know, the, the tale will be... For the rest of the you know the rest of the year heading into preseason and you know round one next year the tale will be would it have been differently if Latrell was there yeah and fucking who cares fucking <laughs> South as far as I'm concerned it's one of those things where you think about it you're like would have loved to him be there but if you wanted to be there just don't be a fuckwit yeah. don't try and kill someone hundred percent especially against no the chooks like especially against the chooks mate put your head in so um, no obviously you know you feel you feel sorry for a guy like that 
you know, his aggression gets the better of him. It's rugby league, though. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think what Latrell does for the game and for his culture is unbelievable. So you want to see the best players playing in the big games and there's nothing better than a close grand final that goes down to the wire. And, you know, we got that this year. So great way to end the season. Absolutely. Speaking of the best players in the best games, Nathan Cleary, I'd say fairly unsurprisingly, took out the Norm Smith medal. Do we think he deserved it or was he kind of just penciled in as his award from the get-go? Look, I think I think he's almost penciled in, right? But I'll be honest, I, I finished the end of that game and um, Duffman and I had had that conversation last week about thinking Dylan Edwards would really step up and be a pivotal player around those tired forwards, but you started to hear those comments early in the week around his injury and you know, here he was playing on a broken foot for the entirety of the final season is unbelievable. Um, so, you know, he was only going to do so much, having known that now. But I think Cleary's kicking game was outstanding. Um, he, he really made it hard for those guys at the back to get any ground or momentum. And Penrith seemed to do a really good job of their kick chase. They were in their face. Their defence was really solid. Their tackle one two defence was probably the best defence I've seen all year from any team where... They really suffocated, and they were same in the Melbourne game. They really suffocated the op- um, the opposition and held them really hostage to their 10 yards. And I thought Cleary was pivotal, and I thought if it wasn't going to go his way, I thought Bill Kickow had an outstanding game. Defensively, he was the best player on the paddock. Um, him and Cam Murray were both very good. And his impact, the way he ran the ball, the way he led from the front, um, I thought he was outstanding, and it really could have gone either way. But you know, you can't be surprised. You can't be all that surprised when you see a halfback stand up and, and grab the norms. Um, I was going to say the Norm Smith. Fuck, that was very AFL of me, Clive Churchill. Um, you know, at the end of the day, like they're the guys that lead plays around the park. They're the flashy players. They usually get, you know, they cop the hate and they cop the love in the papers and in the press for a game going right or wrong. So, you know, in his moment, he stood up and um, he definitely outperformed Luai, but Luai had a very good game too. So I think, you know, you couldn't give someone, you couldn't give anyone on that Penrith team less than an 8 out of 10 for their performance in the grand final. And much the same for South. So, you know, there's probably plenty of deserving people. Yeah, it really seemed like Penrith sort of did it by committee. And that was the one thing where Duffman last week was telling us Edwards was going home with it. So I was really watching him. And look, i got to apologise to him now because I was watching the game and like, he's been shit, you've been doing nothing, like what's happening? Yeah. And then you hear, oh, he's had a broken foot. And immediately like, all right, so now in retrospect, he's like a superhuman. Like, that's superhuman. insane to be doing what you'd like. If I had a broken foot, I'd be on a wheelchair, I reckon. Like, I wouldn't <laughs> be out there getting beaten up by guys like that. The, the thing is, like, it's there's always, and that's the thing I love about rugby league is the tough mentality and the, the push-on mentality of the players that we've got, like, you look back, you've got your classic semi Burgess in 2014, broken cheekbone five minutes in, plays 75 minutes in the pack, like one of the biggest defenders in the game and just like completely heroic. You've got Cooper Cronk, comes on, really avoids a lot of damage, but makes tackles for 80 minutes and directs the team around the paddock for the Chooks to win our second back to back, excuse me. And then you find out he's got a broken scap. And everyone thought it was rotator cuff. And I remember even Billy Slater saying he had a rotator cuff injury that really fucked him over for like five years. And then you hear broken scap and you're like, well, that's insane. Every time you make a tackle, every time you pass a footy, you're going to feel that. 
um, you know, grand finals, the big players step up and credit to Dylan Edwards. They're a better side with him in the team. And um, yeah, I think bloody heroic. Yeah. And like, you never want to advocate for a player to play through injury. Like obviously player <laughs> safety comes first. 100%. You never want to be that guy that's like, oh, I'll play through it. But you hear it afterwards. You just, you got to respect it. 100%. You know how much it means to those guys to push through that injury. And it's, it's all worth it for him as well. At the end of the day, he goes home now. He's won a premiership. You know, mid-season, you can't imagine that. You play on through that. You you take your weeks off. But in the finals, no no player wants to feel like they're the reason the team's been let down. And no player wants to miss the big moment either. And, you know, I've got a good feeling that a couple of beers after the game and he wouldn't have felt all that much anyway. So I don't know if you saw the video of their Mad Monday celebrations. It was... <laughs> The morning after, they're still in their footy gear, all on the yeah, beach. Yeah. Then they got the JBL blast, yeah. and everyone's got a can in their hand. I reckon awesome. that's mad. Eh? I thought the um for me iconic, like Mad Monday celebration. Victor Radley walking through Bondi at like nine a.m. the next day in his footy shorts and socks. I'm just like, that's great. That's that's class, pure class, from Rads. And then. Brian Toe obviously won a ring, but he also gave one away, proposing to yeah. his longtime partner after the game. I think I had some words with a bunch of mates about this during the week, right? And for me, as a you know, as an obvious Chook supporter, um, I love what they're building at Penrith. There's there's a few things that I think this spirals from, right? You've got thirteen of their team have played together through juniors in the academy. You've got this core group of mates who love where they come from, they're proud of it, they represent the music culture in Western Sydney, they represent Western Sydney, the area as a whole and everything that comes out of there and they represent their people and there's this real tie of like loyalty that you see within that core group of people and I love that in the height of it all, these guys are so young, they're so young and everyone says oh they're a bit cocky but they're young and they're playing good footy and their personalities for the game, they should be and I love that, I love watching that but I think in the heat of the moment it'd be very easy just to like get caught up in it all to go out to love the attention to get a little bit too caught up in it and you see his moment becomes completely selfless and he proposes to his missus and I think what an outstanding role model for you know we we talk about it a lot should footy players be role models because it's a lot of responsibility on them but regardless of what you believe you know they are definitely still role models to you know the six-year-old kids and the even the 16, 18-year-old kids who love these boys like and praise these guys as gods of the game, what an outstanding role model. A guy who like stays by the girl that he's been with since day one, like loves and respects her and basically gives up his moment to make it hers too. And I just thought a really fitting way to end the game and something that you love to see. And you just want to see guys like that who are outstanding role models and outstanding voices for the game you want to see him succeed so yeah absolutely and i know he's talked extensively in the past about how important his partner's been to his success to keeping him grounded all that stuff so yeah like you said in the biggest moment to acknowledge that he wouldn't be there without her and to to do that and i thought before mad monday probably a good sign from her as well she's probably feeling a bit more confident now what's going to happen all this exactly exactly and then something we talked about as well in our group chat uh, the recreation of a famous video with Brady and Gronk done by yeah. Cleary. How good was that? So, so good. One of my mates, Dicko, sent it to me. Shout out to Joseph Dixon. He always loves a shout out on the pod. Um, bit of a grub, though, on the footy paddy. Um, and he sent it to me, and I just thought it was so iconic. And just like a real, you know, they've got a long way to go until they've got that Brady and Gronk vibe. And 
but you know I can see them being a really solid team. You know, I was talking with a mate of mine on our run this morning, Tooney, and we're saying they haven't really lost any of their personnel. There's only really two or so players that are leaving this side this year. They're going to have a very similar squad next year, and they're only better and stronger for the experience this year. And I think I started to doubt Penrith. I started to say in the first, second week of the finals, are these guys the Baltimore Ravens of the NRL? Do these guys have the immaculate, like, regular season and get to postseason and they just can't perform in the big games? And they shut me up against Melbourne and they definitely shut me up against South. And I'm really excited for the legacy that these guys are going to have in the game because I think, like I said, they're outstanding to watch. Um, they're incredible for the game's growth and the culture of it all. Um, but most importantly, they seem like really good kids. So yeah. Look, I'll admit to being a little bit disappointed when I saw the message come from you saying the Cleary's recreated Bronken, yeah, I mean, Bronken Brady's championship thing. I was yeah. thinking it was the throwing the trophy across the boat. Yeah. I was really waiting for that, but nah, still good to see from him. And you know... Obviously, a lot of the NL boys are huge NFL fans, so they probably yeah. were stinging to recreate something like that and have it. That would have been planned a week before. That would have been spoken about. If we win this, we get to make that video. So, good on them. Now, so that was my play of the week. Let's talk about what yours was. My play of the week was, you know, we spoke about it just before. I think, like, in, incredible toughness, almost stupidity, but just real heart. And what we spoke about in our group chat during the week that Aussie and Kiwi spirit, the trans-Tasman spirit in the UFC that we all know and love, Dan the Hangman Hooker. Fuck, what, what a weapon. To, to take this fight against Makachev, who is arguably the scariest guy in the lightweight division, who is arguably better than Khabib in some of those areas, who is trained by Khabib, who's his prodigy, to take this fight on four weeks' notice after... Not just on four weeks' notice when you've been training. After another big fight, like, it's, it's going to be a real test. Now, I'll be the first to say I don't think, Dan, if I look at it analytically and, you know, use my brain, I, I don't think he wins that fight. I think he's, he gets quite battered and quite beaten. I think it's an ugly fight for Dan. But you can understand a guy who, from New Zealand, wants to make some money for his family. The sport's not as popular down there. And he's doing incredible things. The whole city kickboxing crew, which, you know, crosses paths with Freestyle Fight Gym in Wingdang here in the Illawarra, and what those guys are doing there. There's a real culture that's been birthed around just like the pure trans-Tasman spirit, that Anzac spirit, and we love to see it. And I just think, I actually watched an interview, the Mac Life had done an interview with Dan, and he was sort of saying, and they just had a second interview when he announced the fight. And the guy was like, bro, like, what the fuck? He's like, we've done the interview. We, I think they've done like a 45-minute interview. They played a game of you know together. They're sitting there having a yarn. He's like, I'm not taking that fight. He goes, next morning I wake up, my mate goes, can't wait to see your interview with Hooker. Um, does he talk about taking the fight? And he's like, oh, he didn't take the fight. And he's like, check Twitter. <laughs> and he's like, what the fuck changed in 12 hours? And he's like, I literally went to bed, got some food, woke up, and he's like, and UFC had been trying to contact me, and he's like, I was like, I'll take the fight. But the thing that I was really surprised by, so that's my play of the week, but the thing to elaborate on it, I wasn't quite sure about is, and I don't know if you've read into any of this, but he spoke about, obviously it's in Abu Dhabi, um, he was like, oh, you know, I've seen guys from New Zealand take these opportunities and not get home for months, and I think that's the most daunting thing all years, he said. And yeah. I'm like, where does that come from? So I think the New Zealand government and UFC have had a fairly contentious relationship. I yeah. knew Hooker trying to get over for his last fight 
he was literally adding like a member of parliament on Twitter being like, I need my visa cleared for Vegas by now. You're telling me it's a two-week wait. I need to be gone by Sunday. Please help. Yeah. Izzy's had a lot of problems in the past. He's actually announced he's moving to, to California, I think, or to America because he's just sick of having to deal with the New Zealand government. Yeah. I think that for how big a sport UFC is, how global it is, I don't know if New Zealand, if it's just the parliament that's not accepting it, because I'm sure there's a pretty strong fan base there. Oh, for sure. Especially with so many athletes coming out of there now. But yeah, it just seems like the the guys over there are really having a tough time of trying to to act professionally. And it's not like other sports. It's not like you've got a team of guys around you and you're going in and out every week. Yeah. Like Dan, he trains for ages, he goes to Vegas for a weekend, he probably wants to stay there for a week and come back. Yeah. Like, I don't know why they're you know, trying to make it so hard for him yeah. to do what he wants to do, to make money, to bring awareness to this growing sport in New Zealand. And it's and it's definitely the fastest growing sport in the world right now. The UFC's, especially through COVID, has made leaps and bounds ahead of any other sport and the growth of their fan base and what they've been able to pull off during really tough times and do it without any real casualty or real issue um you know very few covid cases for the amount of fighters they've got on their roster but it, it's puzzling and, and it makes sense now that you say that i remember seeing izzy adesanya talking about never fighting in new zealand again yeah, and like definitely yeah and you know it's it's a it's a real shame for this anzac relationship that we have and the growth of the ufc and, and mixed martial arts as a whole here but it's a wake-up call you know, yeah. if you don't respect the fighters and, you know, even if it's not a national sport yet, it's something that's growing, you've got to make it easy for these guys. And, you know, there's no shortage of training camps in the USA. There's no shortage of fight opportunities. It's far easier for those guys to prepare when they're already there. Um, it only makes sense that if we're not careful, we'll lose a bunch of our fighters. And I've even heard, you know, rumours and whispers that Volk is considering a similar move. Yeah, I've heard whispers about that. I don't know if there's any legitimacy yeah. to it. But talking about the fight camp, that's another thing. Like, Volk, obviously, um, fuck, what's the word? Um, oh, I'm full blank. <laughs> Shit. What are you talking about? Like, trains with... Like, retain, retain, yeah. Yeah. Retain. So, Volk retained his title. Yeah. He did his whole fight camp in Windang. So, that must have been really tough to go against Ortega in America with all these guys. Volk doing what he can down here. Yeah. Obviously, homegrown where he came from. But, like, you look at the two sides... If there's the opportunity to go over there and have those high-quality dudes, it sucks, but I don't know how you don't take it. Here's the thing. It's like any sport. They say to be the best. To be the best, you've got to beat the best and compete with the best and train with the best. And, you know, I'm, I know one of the boys down there who's been, um, he's been a guest on the pod, Colby Thickness. Shout out to our boy Colby, the golden boy. Um, he's coming back on soon, actually, to talk about their adventures um, with Ultimate Fighter, which would be sick. Really keen for that. Um, and you know, they relish those opportunities to get over to New Zealand and, you know, to be able to spar with a guy like Izzy with hooker with, um, Brad Riddell, those guys that are coming out of that gym who are high level athletes. Um, they're doing amazing things in the sport. It only makes you better at what you do. And it's like, you know, if you're running with a slow guy all the time, you never get any faster than you were when you started running with him. So it's kind of like you've you've really got to expand and in that sport you see those camps um aka american or sorry uh, what is it ak something american kickboxing um like the amount of fighters they got under that banner there and the class and ufc champs and you know you got to think that you got to give these guys an opportunity to do that or you lose them all together and unfortunately if you lose them all together you lose a bunch of the value that australia and new zealand hold to host these events yeah 
So they don't come back down under or go back to New Zealand if they're living and fighting in Cali anyway. Yeah, because it just makes them more available too. Like, instead of having to do the two-week quarantine, America's just free land. You do whatever the fuck yeah. you want at this point. Yeah. Go to Vegas, come back, keep living the next day, see your kids, see your wife, see your mates. Exactly. Versus, yeah, having to sort out paperwork, go over there, deal with all the headache. And you can just fight way more often. Ooh. Imagine, excuse me, a little drink break there. Um... You know, we've just spoken about it, like me prepping for my marathon, having to take three weeks off for health issues. But you ask any athlete, if you're prepping for something and you have to take two weeks sitting in a hotel room or two weeks off training, it's not good for your preparation. No. You know, like, so regardless of whether they get that in early or they get that in late, it's not going to help. So you just think... You know, I think they don't have two weeks. I think it's a little bit more um, relaxed over there. But it's just it's just not a good setup for athletes and they need to find a way around it or the UFC is going to suffer. Speaking of the UFC rising star, Sugar Sean O'Malley's booked a new fight. Mm. It's looking like a fight against a ranked opponent, which has got a lot of people pretty excited. He's on a bit of a hot streak. He's one of the most exciting dudes in the sport at the moment. Do you think he's going to come away with another win? Yeah, I think he does. I think... That, you know, for me, Sugar's potentially the smartest guy in the UFC right now. He's been able to create so much. He's been able to create not McGregor levels, but similar levels of hype in the sport with a fan base that's growing every day um, with entertainment and media opportunities that he's, he's making, making sure he gets you know, the full exposure from all of this. He's making sure that he makes his money outside of the cage. And... He's been able to do that whilst not fighting any ranked opponents at this point in time, which, you know, he speaks about, I think he's like 25, and he's like, I've got another good 10 years in this. Like, why would I step out, fight a guy like TJ Dillashaw or Corey Sanderhagen or, you know, Petey Yarn, one of those good guys, even though it was Dominic Cruz was saying I'd love to fight him, he's like, why would I fight a ranked guy when I could keep fighting, in his words, his bums, and make money and build and be fucking killer in five years without having taken extreme damage and be in a position where when I start to fight these ranked guys and challenge for the titles, I've already made my money, so the outcome really means a whole lot less. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen a guy like Conor McGregor comes into the UFC, fucking huge knockout against Diego Brandao, first fight, goes on this crazy ride for two, three years where he's fucking on every highlight reel he's the main guy in the UFC he's making money he's the showman and then all of a sudden he starts to lose those few fights and we've seen you know he's set himself up financially but it is very hard no matter what sport you're in especially fighting to maintain that kind of energy and do that much in such a short period of time and some guys are built for it and Sean's a guy who fucking loves fighting like nothing else he's passionate he enjoys training He's got a really good balance to it all. And I think a guy like that who can apply a bit of patience and play the long game wins in the end. And I really hope that's the case for Sean. I love watching him fight. His last fight, um, albeit that guy was fucking an absolute animal and incredibly resilient, I think to watch what Sean does and like, I, I really enjoy watching guys. For me, he's very similar to a Max Holloway, high percentage striker lands a lot of strikes and is very entertaining to watch and I think when you enjoy the sport and you enjoy combat sports as a whole and we'll get on to someone else who's very good at that in another sport a little bit later um, you know those guys who can hit often and hit strategically it's really fun to watch yeah I think the Sean Connor comparison <coughs> is 
are really interesting because to me, Sean's like, he's like Conor McGregor from Wish. He's like boneless yeah. Conor McGregor. He understands the same thing Conor does is that like to be marketable in the UFC yeah. is not the same as to be like the best fighter. You just have to be super out there. 100%. It's something that I think Volk struggled with. And I think that's why Volk doesn't have the fan base yet that he deserves. Like, we're talking about a guy who's beat Max Holloway twice, beat Brian Ortega. Surely this guy's got more love. Surely this guy is being hyped up more. He's getting more opportunity in the media. But he's he's kind of like that typical Aussie dude who's kind of like, just kind of like, yeah, it's going to be a good fight. It's going to be tough. Like, there's no real showmanship. But I've noticed a little change in this yeah. last prep. And there's that little bit of band between. And I think the ultimate fighter will have helped him heaps. Yeah. Understanding what the show's about. And when I say the show, I mean the show in, you know, quotation marks, the whole thing, and being that stage presence and that social media presence that allows fans to get excited and for people like us to talk about it on shows. Um, you know, probably the number one sports show in the world very soon, blokes and their balls. Um, you know, so those those fighters that understand it and can do it in... I think Connor, Connor's taken it too far for me, and we spoke about this a little bit last week. He's taken it to the point now where it is it is pure disrespect at times and it's tasteless and I don't like that. I think there's a way to do it and Chael Sonnen was one of the best at it and, you know, I think when you find those guys that are absolute showmen, um, it's, it's fucking fun to watch. Well, I think Volk, even just shaving his head, that's like a pretty drastic thing for him and who he was. Yeah. And it got noticed, obviously, Dwayne Johnson retweeted and like yeah. shouted him out and it's just that sort of stuff. I think he's realising that because in any other league, any of the dudes in the UFC would be the crazy one that out there. They've got insane haircuts and tattoos, but they're all together. So if you want to be the crazy one in the mm. UFC, you have to be like crazy. You have to be like O'Malley, face touch, rainbow hair, just yeah. talking shit to everyone all the time, or just chronic, a complete psychopath. Yeah. The Irish accent, I think, has really helped him a little bit. The Irish accent, accent, I should say, helps so much. Um, but fuck Connor. We're, we're Sugar Sean fans now. Well, I am anyways. Yeah, I see him taking it out. But a fight a little bit closer to us. We've got Fury vs. Wilder 3 coming up this weekend. I think mm. by the time people listen to this, it probably would have already happened. Um, no, people are listening to this tonight. Oh, magic. Then yeah, it'll so, be coming up I in a few days. I am playing games, brother. I am playing games. The production here is fucking high spec. Um, yeah, that's coming up this weekend, and I'm so excited for that. For me, it's, it's one-sided. I think Fury only gets better the more he understands his opponent. He's beaten him twice. Um... And I think, you know, there was a little bit of speculation about Wilder winning the first fight. And to anyone who says that, fuck off, no way. Um, Fury won that fight, he outclassed him. He just took a fucking massive fucking uppercut to the head. Um, and I think he looked so good in that second fight. He looked so classy, he looks fast. There was a lot of speculation in the beginning of the training for this that he was taking it a little bit easy. And I think he was, he was throwing us a dummy and throwing up some videos and photos of him looking pretty out of shape. And then he started to see him moving around in camp and you're like, that wasn't him a couple of weeks no. ago. This was games. This was mental games. And um, I think it's going to be his best performance um, in a long time, if not ever. And I'm really excited for any time Tyson Fury fights. I'm watching it. Um, I love him as an athlete. I think his story and the redemption and um, what he's done for mental health um, in that space, especially in the boxing game and in the fight game, it's pretty rare. Um, I think he's an incredible ambassador for 
um, the ultimate comeback story and underdog story in that first fight. And um, I'm so excited to watch him. I think, you know, for me, he's the best heavyweight boxer in the world, without a doubt. Yeah. I think the moment I knew Wilder was going to lose this fight was at the end of the last fight. When he came out, he couldn't admit he got outclassed. It yeah. was the whole, I wore armour and I got tired from it, which just... Give me a fucking break, yeah. number one. You're one of the fittest dudes on the planet. Yeah. But I think you just go into that now. Wilder's going to be angry. He's going to be swinging. I think he's going to be looking for the knockout from the start. Yeah. Fury's going to know that. He knows how to play the long game. He's agile. He's just going to wear him down. He'll catch him with one or he'll win on points at the end. 100%. You know, there's, and there's something about taking a guy who's basically seven foot. He's six foot nine. You know, he's in no shape whatsoever, but he's got incredible power. He's got incredible movement, that gypsy mentality. And, you know, if you've watched Snatch, you know what I mean? That gypsy Magic mentality. Movie. Great movie. Um, you like dogs? Um, just like, un- like he's, the un- he's an unbelievable athlete. He's, he moves like fucking Lomachenko and fucking he's probably five of Lomachenko's in weight. And there's just something about the way his charisma and his certainty and, and how calm he is in there that I'm just, I'm a massive fan of. So shout out to Tyson Fury. I hope he, you know, one thing I will say, not a fan of the way that Wilder acts in, in defeat, but his story itself is powerful and compelling. He's doing this for his daughter. I respect that. And, you know, speaking about it with my mate Fooney this morning on our run, we're saying you really hope that he gets to the end of all of this after this third yeah. fight. He takes the loss. And at the end of his career, he says... I got out class. This was about making money to support my family, to support my daughter. I'm going to go be a dad now. And, you know, all respect to the guys that beat me. Yeah. I feel like, you know, if it's a shower, I hope he comes out and, and humbles himself in the end of it all. So, yeah. And all that being said, Wilder's whole thing is he's got crazy knockout power. <coughs> so, like, he only has to catch him once. So, I think that's what makes it such an exciting fight, too. It sells the fight regardless, right? And... You know, I think for me, the, the natural progression of how this all goes, I think Tyson Fury wins via KO in the middle rounds, you know, something like round five to seven, five to eight, somewhere around there. Once he's had a chance to move, feel him out a little bit, land some, land some punches and work him around the ring a little bit, I think he wins that fight pretty convincingly. For me, the next fight, the one that I think we all need to see, is Wilder Joshua. You've got yeah. two guys that are going to be on the ropes. Joshua was taking a loss, you know, two or two losses in a very short period of time now. Um, I think, you know, he got completely outclassed by Usyk and I'd love to see that fight that, it's almost like the fight that never happened, the one that was spoken about for years before Fury come back into the frame and it was like, who's going to be the champ? Is it AJ? Is it Wilder? Um, that's a fight that I want to see before either of those guys hang up their gloves and, um, you know, fuck, very good fight. Yeah, and I think that's the disappointing thing with the heavyweight division over the last few years is those two spent so much time flirting and will they, won't they, dancing around it. While they were both in their primes, it would have been the best fight ever. But now, like, obviously Fury's still top of the world, yeah. but AJ lost that fight, won again, but then lost to this new guy as well. Like, he's, yeah. I don't know, I don't know if he's the fighter he was three years ago. I don't know. Like, it's going to be exciting still, but I don't he, know if it's what it was. Here's my thing. I think I think AJ has one of the smartest promoters in the world on his side in Eddie Hearn. Eddie Hearn's an absolute class businessman. He understands the game and promotion like no one else. He, For me, Eddie Hearn 
played his cards really well with AJ. Boxing, there's so much politics in boxing, and they really played their cards right. They picked their fights. We all got excited when AJ, and I'm a big fan of AJ's background, his attitude, the way he's, he's a real class act for boxing. And, and you know, like if you, I don't know if you've watched on Netflix, um, or was on there for a while, The Road to Klitschko, that documentary where they filmed, he's an incredible human being. But like that Klitschko fight, he beats him in round 11, I think it was. And we're all like, oh my God, AJ's unbelievable. But we're all forgetting that like, Klitschko was old. He's, he's, he's done, right? So like we can't go former Klitschko, the champ, the guy that everyone was like scared of and fearful of. You can't compare him to the man he was back then. Yeah. And I think we all got a little bit excited and, you know, a little bit high on the AJ train where it's like, I don't know if he ever was the fighter. He's good. He's a top class heavyweight. But I don't know if he ever was the champ or going to be the champ that we spoke yeah. about. And I think that's just been exposed, you know. The minute he got in there, he's quite a boxy guy because he's so large, muscular, and, you know, lean. being lean doesn't always mean you're fast and agile. And I just don't think he's as athletic as a guy like Fury is, yeah. um, which is a real cr- contrast, right, when you look at him. But I think to see Andy Ruiz, who's, same again, completely out of shape, but... His speed shocked AJ and, you know, I think Andy Ruiz obviously got a little bit high and mighty off the back of that first loss and came into that second fight very unprepared and, you know, anyone in his camp or life will admit that and he'll admit that. But I just think AJ's kind of been exposed for the fighter that he is and he's not the fighter that we hoped he would be. So um, I think for me, Tyson Fury is without a doubt the number one heavyweight in the world and I think we're going to see that again pretty clearly on Sunday. Absolutely. And you talk about the body shapes of Fury and Wilder versus, I mean, sorry, AJ and Wilder versus Fury. Fury being a bit chubby, I think, almost helps him. He can absorb a few of those bigger hits from the big boys. We've all watched The Simpsons. You know, Homer, an un- untrained, unskilled boxer, makes it all the way to that championship fight. Um, you know, I think, you know, it's a, it's a really good sign for all of us blokes out there who aren't exactly the AJs or the Greek. Look, can I just say, well. Brad's saying this like he's not going to run a marathon in four days. Yeah. So I just, <laughs> if there's someone in this room who's more of a fury, it's definitely not you, mate. <laughs> kind, of, kind of true, but I wish, you know, I wish that the rig wasn't as looking, looking as dad as it is. Um, but I think, you know, it shows that we're all got a fucking puncher's chance, right? So good on Tyson Fury for doing blokes um, and their average rigs all around the world. Very proud. Moving from combat, we'll jump into the NFL. I think we're into week four now. We'll, we'll, we're going to address week four, the past yeah, week. Yeah, exactly. Started off with Bengals versus Jags, and that was the first pick QB battle. Joe Burrow from last year versus mm. Trevor Lawrence from this year. What a contest, man. What a close one. We spoke about that last week. We done that little pilot test episode, and we're all really excited for that. And I was really excited to see who come out on top. I was, I was a fan of what Joe Burrows was able to do in the first nine weeks of last season before that knee injury. And I thought he showed real promise in a Bengals team that are lacking a few talents, you know, and they're lacking a bit of a bit of an O-line to keep him safe. And I just thought he, he showed real resilience and he showed the class that we'd come to really know and, and love in the college system. And I'm not a big viewer of college sport, but... It was, it was really hard to miss the headlines every week around what Joe Burrows was doing. And he was so dominant at LSU. And for me, I think coming into that game, I expected a Bengals win. I think I said to you boys, I expected Bengals win. He but did a really, call it. A really close one. 
and it was a really close game. And I thought Trevor Lawrence played outstanding as well. And for me, the, the conclusion of that game was I was actually having a conversation with a mate of mine, Lawrence, who's a big NFL fan. And we both kind of said, it's really hard to say who's better. Yeah. And I think who's better will be decided by who can, can put themselves in a position to have that O-line, to have those receivers and to be a high-performing offense in years to come. And that's it's probably a question we won't know the answer to on, you know, probably until the next five years yeah. as those teams mature or as their careers progress. But I thought both guys played outstanding. They both got different games. Like, Burroughs looks really chill. He's a, he's a pure passer through and through. Lawrence doesn't mind, to, you know, to get out of trouble with a bit of a run. And, you know, I think he scored a TD in that game, if I remember correctly. Um, escaping some of the defence and um, I think both guys are extremely talented it's a great game to watch yeah and that's the thing with young quarterbacks especially it's all situational you only have to look at Sam Darnold he was at the Jets for the last two three years and everyone yeah. was like he's a bust he's not doing anything he's in Carolina now he's making <coughs> them look incredible he's scoring like bulk rush touchdowns he's finally getting his game back together it just shows that like who you are as a player especially in football is such a system oriented thing 100% you know it's like anything. It's like you can take the NRL as an example, right? The best winger in the game looks pretty average unless he's got good service. And, you know, it's, it's really about the players that play around you. And there's, there's very few sports or, or sports or athletes now who can shine when there isn't good chemistry around them. And I think it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out. Another great example, um, my boys, the Rams, Matthew Stafford. Showed really good signs throughout his career at Detroit, especially when he had Megatron there and they were performing really well and their chemistry was amazing on the field. You've seen him in the Rams offense this season who, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute, caught their first loss of the season, but has looked really polished in, in the first three weeks and um, has definitely had far better starts than he's ever had at Detroit. And, you know, it's about the class around you and, you know, polish looks pretty average when it's sitting in a tin by itself. Absolutely. We'll talk about the Jags quickly. So last year, last season, they won in week one. And their official team tweeted out, we're not satisfied with 1-0. Since that tweet, they have gone 0-19. They've hired Urban Meyer out of college. They thought he might be the one to turn it around. He hasn't. He's made them, I'd say, almost worse. And then he's also got caught cheating on his wife in a restaurant that he owns. What's going on with the Jags season and how can they try and recover it? Let's just say there's one social media employee who's under a bit of fire, probably there at the moment for that tweet. Uh, maybe a little bit excited after round one of, of last season. You know, it's funny because I, I don't, I've never really followed the Jags all that closely. Whilst I really enjoy the NFL, I, you know, I'm, I'm more versed in a few of the other teams that have just been my consistent watchers and the, the sort of players and sides I like to follow. But there's a lot of criticism of the hiring of Urban Myers and. A lot of talk around his character and the fact that it was shady. You know, there were some nice, not nice things there in the past that they thought would reflect pretty quickly um, in his position at the Jaguars. And, you know, we're, we're four weeks into the year, um, approaching week five, and you hear this. And you hear this after, you know, your team's been disappointing for 19 games in a row. And even though a bulk of them, 15 of them, he wasn't the coach. You, you sort of wear some of that responsibility and you've stepped into this and you've got to be on your A game. And I think, you know, I, I can't see... I honestly can't see him lasting the season no, if this is I how the narrative's going to go. go. 
And I think it'll get pretty easy to cut in when they get to a point which undoubtedly will come where they're halfway through the season, likely winless. You know, the star QB who you worked so hard to get in the draft starts to arc up a little bit and doesn't like the relationship and the way this game is going. Um, and I, I can't see him lasting the season. I, I'm going to make a call. Um, it's not going to be my hot take, but it's going to be a call that by sort of like three quarters of the way through the season, he's gone and yeah. one of those other coaches steps into the role. Because that's the thing. I think we're really seeing with him the difference between a really good college coach versus a really good NFL coach. Because a yeah. college coach, they're these dudes that they're used to coaching guys that they've got supreme power over. Yeah. These young kids, they're not on any money. They're on scholarships. They're trying to make the league. They'll do anything the coach tells them. 100%. He's used to being a dictator. Suddenly, he's in the league with grown men, guys that are earning more money than him in some cases. You can't do that shtick again. You can't be like, this you is what we're going to do. Because they'll be like, go fuck yourself. Mm. They know their worth and their place a lot more than these college kids do. And, you know, anyone who thinks that the coach has any sort of say when you've got star players on the paddock and a boardroom who are going to do whatever they can to keep those star players out there on the field because that's what sells jerseys, it's what sells seats. No one comes to a game to watch a coach unless you're a Rams fan and you've got Sean McVay. <laughs> no comment. Yeah, turn it off, hey. So from the worst team in the league to the best, the Cardinals just keep on rolling. They pump through, you know, one of the all right teams, I'd say. <laughs> How'd you feel, man? Um, it's funny. So Duffman has never been a through and through follower of the NFL, more of a, an NBA guy and a league guy, especially. And last week he declared his, he declared his support for the Cardinals, which was disappointing. It, it hurt coming into this week, playing them. And he's pretty pumped on Kyler Murray and rightfully so. Kyler, in, in my opinion, I thought had rookie of the year potential um, last season. He looked, or oh, sorry, not last season, season before. Yeah. He looked really good. Um, I think in a, in a good side, I was like, this guy's going to be unstoppable. He's got a run game. He's got a pass game. His instinct, like you, you've seen throughout courses of round four where we'd have pressure on him. And we've done everything right as a defense. We were the best defense in the league last year. Not much of our team has changed. Very good defense. We'd rush, we'd blitz, and then you watch him escape a situation. Not only escape it, but there were like two or three plays where he escaped, worked his way around, then it looks like he's going to make a run and get some yards. So the corners start to settle off their receivers, and then all of a sudden you just see him stop before the line of scrimmage, throw the ball. And I think when you've got class and composure in one, I think it's a really deadly combo, and they look so good. Um, you know, J.J. Watt coming from Houston and, and coming into their defense this year brings a bit of experience. And just as a side, the Cardinals look really good. Um, whilst it's sad to cop a loss, and I think we copped a loss but also played pretty average. It was definitely our worst performance yeah. of the season. Matthew Stafford... Had a bit of a shocker in the first half before he got going. And um, I think it's fair to say that we weren't at our best. So I'm looking forward to those contests um, upcoming. Especially I'm looking forward to this week's game to see how they respond. But I think it's great for the NFC West. You know, that game's been a dead rubber. I think they, they were talking about the stats and we've outplayed the Cardinals astronomically in the last like five or so games. So I think to see a little bit of... And, you know, we're arguably the best division in the league this year. Yeah with Seattle, San Fran, and the Cardinals to contest with. 
Um, I think it's going to be a really exciting season for anyone who follows those teams. And I'm, I'm a firm believer in, if you, like as we said before, with the fighting, to be the best, you've got to beat the best. Um, and you can't make excuses for rough conferences because conference, you know, being a conference champ doesn't win you a Super Bowl, as we've seen on so many occasions before. So um, I'm really, really excited for this season. Yeah, absolutely. One thing you said about Kyler Murray really reminded me of something. I did an interview a few weeks ago with Xavier Cooks, one of the yep. Sydney Kings players, and he said, it's something a lot of people, the athletes say, but when you get to the top level of your sport, the game starts to slow down. That's how you know you're elite, when yeah. it all starts to move in slow motion. And that's what Kyler Murray really reminds me of. Like He's never stressed. He always just, he's taking things at his own pace. Yeah. Like you said, if he's going to run, if he decides to throw it, he never looks like he's pressured. He never looks like he's making the wrong decisions. They're, they're a dangerous side. I think they're a dangerous side for years to come because they've got some class receivers too. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see how the Cardinals go. And, you know, my, my brother-in-law, Cal, spent some time over at OU um, studying and he was lucky enough to see um, Baker Mayfield when he was QB1 there and he was lucky enough to watch Kyler when he slipped in the next season uh, from QB2 to QB1 and, you know, the, the quarterback factory, as they call it at OU, has performed some, you know, has provided some absolute fucking goodies for the NFL. And I'm excited to see how he and um, his former OU teammate, Baker Mayfield, go this season. Yeah. Let's talk about arguably the most exciting NFL game of the season, of the last few seasons, regular season speaking. Tom Brady returned back, mm. played against his old team, his old coach. What a game, man. Oh, man. The hype around that. You sent us a text just before the game kicked off about, um, what was it, the amount of media? Yeah, so before the game, the Patriots handed out 500 media credentials. And to put that in perspective, the few games before that, they'd handed out maybe 200 a game. So that's more than double the amount of just reporters, writers, people just coming in to cover that game, which just shows you the amount of attention that pretty much all lives in the sport world are on it, we'll be honest there. Yeah, pretty insane. I was excited. I, I got to watch, I think I got to watch the first three quarters and then I had to duck off for the fourth and I had it on my phone with the updates coming through. And it was it was really good. So we spoke about last week as well. I listened to Bill Simmons' podcast um, early in the season and I think just before round one kicked off and he was saying his prediction for Super Bowl this year was Bucks, Pats, which I thought was a little bit wild, but he had big raps on Mac Jones and obviously powerhouse coach and Bill Belichick and they're gonna wanna they're gonna wanna respond to what happened last year with, with Tom winning the Super Bowl at another club. And I think what we've seen on Monday, um, for any of you American fans who listen, I know there's a few of you, um, the games drop on a Monday here for us, or most of them anyways. And I think what we seen was absolute class from Mac. Yeah. He responded really well to what would obviously be a really stressful situation, a bunch of nerves. And I think, you know, it was gut-wrenching to watch them go out and, and just miss the, the win, like literally missed it by that much. And I think, to, I think you'll see the fans of New England get behind this team this year and get behind their new quarterback. And I think... An incredible choice from Bill Belichick to, you know, and I think a really smart decision to send Cam Newton on his way this year. And yeah. I think Cam understood that it was about allowing Mac to feel like he had the reins. Yeah. And, you know, I think they're going to be a sensational team. They've got a very good defense. 
Um, and I think they're going to be a sensational side once he gets going and they get a little bit of confidence. Absolutely. Mac Jones, take it bow, man. To go four quarters toe-to-toe with the greatest quarterback of all time and to not yeah. look out of your depth, just phenomenal stuff. And, you know, I want to shed light on a comment that you made during the week saying that maybe he was, was it top two? He's top two, top three. Yeah, you said top two though, and he said I did, I did. with Justin Fields. Justin Fields is number one. This got is his, this is a Chicago got his first win. Look, once Nagy just gets the fuck out of the way, lets Bill Lazor call the plays properly, you're gonna see a whole new level from Justin Fields. Yeah. Man, he's he's the truth. He's yeah. he's legit. Jed seemed to forget um, someone named T Law, and the fact that he was fucking insane at Clemson. All I'm gonna say is Justin's won a game starting. <coughs> Fair point. <laughs> Fair point. That's all I'm going to say. Fair point. I think we know who the top three QBs are of the draft last year. It was interesting, especially in that Patriots game, because it must have been a very unique feeling for Patriots fans, because they've watched that movie a hundred times over, except for the first time yeah. they were on the other side of it. Mm. They were watching Brady just move down, just like mowing down slowly, inches, inches, yards, yards, knowing you just can't stop him, knowing exactly yeah. what was going to happen. I think you've seen the respect, and, and the thing that I liked was the respect there too, like his family got a box, which I don't think they've ever done for um, an opposition player before, they were saying in New England, and you know, there's obviously real, res- there's real respect there, you understand that, you know, Tom probably would have never left New England if he didn't have, if he didn't sort of get a little bit forced out. Yeah. You can understand why they done it though, because in hindsight, <clears throat> do they... Do they get a player like Mac Jones if Mac Jones doesn't feel like he can get a starting spot in his first year? Maybe not. I think most people would be silly not to want to play under Brady and learn from him. But, man, when does that guy end? Like, that's the thing. Like, in, in Mac Jones's head, let's say that Brady never leaves the Pats. Surely there's this little bit of doubt that, like, well, if this guy's performing at this age, he may gain on another four or five years. Yeah. When do I get a start? When do I get a chance? And so I think... You know, there's some smarts there where eventually you've got to make way for the new. Yeah. And, you know, and farewell where the old, as sad as it is. Yeah. But um, I think, man, really exciting for the Pats. They've got a good one there. Yeah. Seeing Brady in that Tampa uniform at the start definitely felt like seeing MJ in the Wizards uniform or Brett Favre yeah. in the Vikings. But then there he went out and won a Super Bowl. So I don't think you can say he's washed up and just doing his... No. Because he'll go for another five years. Man. Oh, like, bro, it's, he, it's he's insane. He's insane. And I think... The way that he's been able to last year, because honestly, t- like Tampa copped a big loss last year against New Orleans. I don't know if you if you seen that mid season where Breeze was class, Tampa were in trouble, and everyone was like, "Well, there goes their Super Bowl hopes." Yeah. And we seen last year to be able to do it at Tampa Bay in his first season. Gronk comes out of retirement. Retirement in quotation marks. He was just having a bit of fun. Like. Yeah, he's basically having a bit of fun and made sure he got out of his Pats contract. Just took a gap year. Yeah, um, but I think you know they done an exceptional job last year as a team. There's there's some changes that I've seen this year. You know their offensive um, coach spoke about getting the running backs more involved and and working on that element of their game a little bit more. And you've seen that in that game. Um, Ronald Jones got more of a chance and. Um, I think they're they're still a very deadly team. I don't think I don't think they'll be as successful as they were last year, but it's still early days, so who knows? Yeah, yeah. I don't. You never really know until like week six, seven. I'd <coughs> no. say. 
from pro football to college football, I don't fully follow college football, but yeah, just some shocking mistakes that I have to highlight, especially over the last week. Number one, we'll call this the Brad Driver special. <laughs> South Carolina fumbles, recovers, fumbles, recovers. And then if you watch him, this guy runs, he runs, he runs, <laughs> and he does the celebration flip, but he does it maybe half a foot off the line, meaning that's a turnover. How... I just, we see this, I reckon, at least once a year. Surely you just, you focus on getting over the line. So what's he do? So explain this to me. So this is the defense. They cover the football and watch he's running. He's running and then watch when he flips it there. Oh, what an idiot. Just a shocking, what shocking What an effort. idiot. And then almost, not almost as bad, but Miami, they had a game winning field goal lined up and they dunk it straight off the post. That hurts. That really hurts. I guess they'd know how South fans feel this week, right? Not quite <laughs> off the post, but close enough. Um, they, th- there's been a couple of really close games this year in the NFL in particular, but I'm sure in college too, where games have been decided by the very slight miss of a field yeah. goal or the very slight um, success of a field goal. And for me, the crazy one was the one we spoke about last week, 66 yards. Um, that's insane. Like to hit a 66 yard field goal, but there's been some fucking close ones. And I think Pat's missed a field goal yeah. in the dying minutes. So it's a game of threes at the moment. We'll go from NFL into NBA. And of course the, the headlining story it's been for the last three months. I'm honestly getting sick of talking about <laughs> it. Ben Simmons, he still isn't with the Sixers. He still isn't with another team. He's been fined eight or he's been $8 million withheld after he hasn't reported. You're a Philly fan. What's going on? Man, I don't know. And you probably shed a little bit of light on it for me last week and gave me a bit of perspective as an angry fan. Um, you, know, you obviously want to see your best players playing. And Ben Simmons is a great player. Yeah, there's things in his game that he miss, that he's missing. Um, but ultimately, arguably, like you said, probably should have been defensive player of the, of the year last year. You know, Philly top seed in the East. You know, disappointing in the finals. And... You know, you can play the blame game all you want. You know, it's a team game and, you know, one player doesn't lose you a game, um, you know, and and can't be the reason or the, the excuse for it. But Ben Simmons, you know, missed the mark in the finals last year. And he's just, I think, like you said, he, he copped a lot of shit at the beginning of the year with Doc Rivers trying to grab um, James Harden and, you know, not exactly having jo- Joel Embiid's support throughout the season. I think... This year, you kind of had to expect something, especially when they put the blame on him yeah. post-final series. Um, but I'm of the stance that, like, this is good for no one. No. It's, it's, it's not good for Philly. It's not good for N- the NBA. We've got a top-class player who's arguably the best defensive player in the game. You know, as a Philly fan who jumped on their bandwagon because of Ben Simmons, an Aussie guy coming to the league and me not really having a team at the time, I'm disappointed, but I just really I just want to see a conclusion. I want to see him go somewhere so that we have a player who wants to be there this season. And, you know, regardless of what sport you play or follow, when you've got a star athlete who doesn't want to be there, um, regardless of whether they are or not, or whether they turn up, it's it's not good chemistry out there on, on the court. Yeah. The problem is, I think, Clutch and Ben have bitten off more than they can chew. I was confident in a move getting made before, before the season started, but... Credit to Maury, he's sticking to his guns on this. 
but it's just Ben's starting to realise he's going to lose this money. He can't recuperate it. They checked with the Players Association that if he withholds, he doesn't get the money back. Okay. And I think he's starting to panic a bit now. And so the comparisons with this situation, it's the same as James Harden in Houston, right? Yeah. Harden rocked up really unfit. He wasn't playing great. He was talking shit at press conferences, but at least he was there. Yeah. If Simmons continues to hold out, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen going forward. But like you said, it's just... It's a really bad look for everyone that I think should have been sorted out a long time ago. Well, the thing is, it becomes less about the battle between a board and a player, and it becomes more about an attitude problem, right? And, you know, regardless of who you are, when your team's taken on a player like Ben Simmons, you worry, well, what if things don't go exactly to plan? Are we going to have this attitude problem too? And I think, ultimately, he comes out the loser of all of this because... He's not making his money. You know, he's copping a loss. His credentials as a player cop a loss. You just want to see him go somewhere. I just don't know where that is. He said he wants to play in LA. That's the thing that's starting to worry is every sort of two weeks there's a new update that adds another little detail, which is just there wasn't a market for him much as it is. But yeah, he came at saying, I want to go to one of the LA teams. Then it came out a week ago, oh, I want to be the focal point on offense. I don't want to play second fiddle to Joel Embiid anymore. They're, I don't know if it's out there. Maybe Sacramento, but I don't think they're really going to... They should. I think they should, but I don't think they will wage any of their young guards on it. Yeah. There was a report that came out, I think, either late last night or early this morning, that the Pacers were maybe looking okay. at it. Maybe Brogdon, Karis Levert, and a pick or something and swap to Ben, which I think could work. I don't think it's a perfect fit, but yeah. at this point, like I think everyone's just sick of it. Like It was an interesting story six months ago. Yeah, and it's just carried on, hasn't it? And unfortunately, we're, you know, week one of preseason, done, and we're still talking about it. And, you know, it takes away from the game itself, and we should be excited for NBA to be back and to see our teams and our, our favourite plays in action again. And, you know, the last thing we want to hear about is fucking controversy for months on end. It's exciting for a week, and then it's like, fuck, let's get rid of it, let's move on. Exactly. What we were excited to watch, though, was the NBL Rookie of the Year battle in the NBA preseason. The Charlotte Hornets and LaMelo Ball took on the Oklahoma Thunder and Josh Giddy. And i got to tell you, man, Josh Giddy looks legit over there. I haven't watched him play. I don't know too much about Josh. But I thought Melo was really impressive last season. And if you're saying that this guy's just as impressive, and I think... Whoa, 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 whoa. I wouldn't say just as okay. impressive. Okay. I don't. I think LaMelo is definitely a, a lot there. better than him. But Giddy... There was a lot of talk about Giddy before the draft. He was unathletic. His shot wasn't looking very good. Did he have the good handle? But And he didn't play in the summer league either. He hurt his ankle, I think it was, a minute in. But in this game, he was running pick and rolls. He was throwing cross-court sling passes. He looks big out there. He's a big guard. Yeah. And he he made the team work a lot better. Like He's one of those dudes where when he's on the court, stuff happens. Okay, let me tell you something here, Jed. Lay it on me. Going to go into story mode here. So, a certain someone came into local league basketball. And when I mean local league, I mean kind of thing that a bunch of blokes, after they finish work, play on a Monday night. Um, actually, a Wednesday night, I should say, at the Snake Pit, um, home of the Hawks. And I walked into that competition having never played a game of basketball properly in my life. And my mate Chris ran the team, the New Kings, we were called. Nice, nice. And... Chris, to give you a reference, is about five foot three. Shout out to my boy Chris Sue. And 
Chris loves basketball, right? And he said, come and play for this team. And I was an athletic guy, you know, enjoyed sport. I was like, yeah, right, I'll give it a crack. Like, I just want to do something active. First game, he says to me just before the game, so here's a couple of plays that we might run. And I was like, I didn't know there were plays in basketball, but okay, right? So I said, just tell me where I've got to be and I'll be there. And he said, I just need you to find yourself on the three-point line, in the corner, take the shot. Nice. And I was like, okay, first play of the game. Tip off, we get the ball. He calls it. I sweep around to the right, take the ball clean, three points. You nailed it. Nailed it. And I'm like, fuck yeah, first shot. Run away. The boys are like, fuck yeah, hyping me up, hyping me up. Next possession, we get the ball. Chris goes, same thing, opposite side. Left side, three-point swish. Unreal. I'm like, fuck, I'm on fire. We get the ball, third possession. I take a step back jumper and hit two, right? And it's like, they take a timeout. They're rattled, right? They're rattled. They take a timeout. I'm walking off the field like, fuck, I was born for this. I'm fucking built different. Like, the boys are hyping me up. My dad's on the sideline going, fuck, you're actually good at basketball. And I'm like, fuck, I know. I went back on the field, did not score another point for the entire season and got ejected from every game. Oh, shit, man. So we can't judge a rookie. By his cover, oh, hell basically. No. Hell no. So, you know, first game of the preseason, we'll, we'll wait and see, hey? Yeah, look, and like you just <coughs> said, the biggest caveat of all time, it's preseason. Yeah. Starters are playing for like five minutes a game. Yeah. Nothing matters. The rotations are out of whack. No one cares. Like, it happens every season. People go, oh my God, we're going to win. Like the Bulls. Yeah. Bulls played incredibly. I'm super excited, but it's preseason. Like, we could come out and stink it up. Let, let's, let's do a quick prediction. For you, who are the champs this year? If Kyrie gets vaccinated, the Nets are the champs. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I thought last year they got hampered with injury. Their side looks so good. It's it's hard not to see them have a really good year. And, you know, also, like, I, I'm kind of like, sometimes I get a little bit off the whole super team thing. I'm like, you know, it's, it's money spent and I get it. You know, you're stoked if you're a, a Nets fan. But I think... You know, seeing Paddy Mills go there, I'm like, you know, we've got to support our boy Paddy. So, I hope I hope they do well this year. They probably deserve it. Yeah, and like they were hit by injuries so hard last year, and they still came within Kevin Durant wearing a, a size smaller shoe of going through to the next round. Like, hundred percent. Props to the Bucks. I was so stoked to see Giannis get one. But yeah, yeah. If KD was a size smaller, they would have been there. Who knows if they would have beat the Suns? Yeah. But if everyone stays healthy, and if Kyrie, because Kyrie's already missing. The next preseason game they have, he has to miss because of vaccine mandates. Okay. It's looking like, according to reports, it's going backwards in terms of his status of getting vaccinated, which means he will miss like 40-ish games because he can't play in home games, Fuck. which is pretty ridiculous. He's also said if they trade him, he'll retire. So that's cut out any trade market for him. Mm. So if he gets vaccinated, I think they're pretty hard to beat. If he yeah. doesn't, maybe the Lakers... Or maybe the Bucks go back to back. Okay. Big calls. I but like we'll it. See. It'll be fun to see this season unfold. Quick shout out to Pau Gasol. Announced his retirement. Obviously a legend of basketball, mm. both in the NBA and internationally. Played with the Lakers, won some chips. Was a big part of Chicago for a few years. Bounced around with Portland and the Bucks, more of a mentor. And then, yeah, went back to Spain. But just few people have been as impactful, especially on the international field as him. Um, all right. I'll, I'll throw one to you here. 
being a, a long-term basketball fan and, and for far longer than I've been. And um, I haven't really watched that much of him. What's been like his play, the play of his career for you? The play of his career? Or the moment of his career? So there's one that always sticks out for me. And it was with the Lakers, so probably 2010 maybe. He's running the fast break, and he's like close to seven foot, right? He's a big center. Yeah. He's running the fast break, straight down the middle, goes around through his legs, around, and then puts like a shovel pass. And it was just one of the best highlights you'll ever see. Yeah, that's it. If it was from a guard, it'd be good, but from a seven footer. But winning those championships is the moment. Kobe has been on record so many times saying he wouldn't have won without power. Yeah. And he's getting his jersey retired by the Lakers, which I think is That's sick. sick. You'll have to see that. All right. So time for a little segment we're going to run, which is a little bit of a draft. I like this. And now I'm excited for this one, hey. Because we got the NBA season starting up, and because we want to try and tie in a bit of culture, tie in a bit of relevance, you know, mm. people that aren't huge basketball fans, we want, to, we want to include you guys as well. Me and Brad are going to draft our... We're doing 2v2 or 3v3? Oh, I'll, I'll leave it to you here. What do you reckon? I think if it's just you and me, we'll go 3v3. Yeah, let's go. We're doing our 3v3 celebrity basketball teams. I'm sure you've all seen highlights of rappers, actors, celebrities, influencers, all trying their hand at basketball. But who's going to get the best 3v3 team? So I think the way we'll do it is we'll do like a snake draft. So okay. you go, I go, I go, you, that that sort of thing. Yep. And then we got a coin or something, we'll flip so you get the first pick. Um, we, we don't We do, don't have a coin. We're, we can we're, do like we're an, wireless here. We'll do an online one. We're wireless, you want me to flip the phone? Yeah, we'll flip the phone. All right, what do you want? Screen up? I'll go screen up, yeah. Right. Oh, screen down. Screen down. So, Brad's got the first pick, I've got second and third, he's got fourth, and so on. Okay. It doesn't um, just have to be this list as well. It's anyone yeah, you okay. Want, I'm going to go um, with the first pick of the Blokes and Their Balls NBA Celebrity Draft. I have Quavo. Quavo of Migos fame. He is legit. He's, he's one of very them. good. He's very good. He's, I've watched a bunch of the celebrity games, and he's always a high performer. He's good. He wasn't the one pick, though. You've missed someone, mate. I know who you're going to say, and I just fucking thought of With it, With my too. pick, I'm taking J. Cole. The, the goat rapper, of the rap game. Who also played in the African League. So I'm taking Mr. Wet Dreams. He's, I've got to say, he's probably my favourite hip-hop artist of all time. I'm not the biggest Cole fan musically. I think he does some cool stuff, but I don't... Love his stuff, I think. Bro, I'm a fan. I reckon like I could listen to every one of his songs. Nah, not not me. And enjoy it. Really? See, I'm more of a fan of him than Kendrick. Yeah, no, I'm I'm the complete opposite, eh? Okay. I'm a big Kendrick. Kendrick's got great songs, but, you know, shout out to my boy Cole, but I've gone Quavo. Right, age. Um, With the second pick, I'm going to go, look, we all know how valuable a Steph Curry is in the modern game, and... You know, arguably, the, the closest thing to Steph Curry you get in the celebrity world and the celebrity arena is um, the man himself, the original funny man, um, Happy Gilmore, unbelievable hockey player. Um, but more importantly, a guy who's, you know, we've seen fucking sink some shots in some of his movies. Mr. Adam Sandler, an incredible basketball fan. And, bro, that guy knows how to hit a three. Sandler's got some serious respect. You yeah. always see stories of him playing in... LA pickup games and stuff and he's always playing with NBA players that's a great pick and and I think like just a veteran a hardy body you know bit of mental fortitude he's been through it all so Adam Sandler for me he's my Steph Curry bit of locker room presence for you yeah 100% with my second pick 
I'm also going with a bit of same vibes. A man who was once described as the fourth ball brother. I'm going with rapper Lil Dicky. Lil Dicky. I'm a big fan of Dave. Dave's one of those dudes that like just a fucking absolute vibe. He'd be a locker room favourite. Um, just humorous as fuck, but the guy's got skills, he's eh? He's an absolute sniper. For just a white Jewish dude, he's got skills, bro. Look him up. If you haven't seen yeah. it, look up Lil Dicky Bus. Look up all these dudes. You'll be shocked how much talent's out and, there. And watch, um, and if if you're looking him up, watch Dave. He plays basketball a little bit in Dave's show, and like, bro, his life is funny as I fucking love Dicky. Um, my third pick, the final pick is, um, you know, I think like for me, I'm looking at a multifaceted team, right? A team of three people who all bring something different and arguably one of the best passes in the celebrity game is my man himself. I'm rocking the Drew here today, Justin Drew Bieber. Very nice, very nice. Yeah. He's got one of the worst looking shots I've ever seen. But man can pass. He can pass. He's, he's pretty about it. Righto, for my third pick, I'm picking a famous actor. You might have seen him in a few movies, such as the Star of Space Jam. I'm taking LeBron James. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I was going to say. <laughs> no, I think I'll go with, we talked about the NBA um, celebrity game a lot. A man who's been the MVP quite a few times in that. Got some, got some experience on the court, got some experience off the court, so he can be coaching as he's playing. I'll go with Kevin Hart. Kev. So Kev, just... bro, do you remember the um, All-Star Weekend? Kev V, um, who was he? Who did he battle off against in the three-point shot? I think it was Draymond, wasn't it? Yes, it might have been. And he fucking he, did he beat him? I think he did. Yeah, I think he beat him. And I was like, holy fuck! That's like obviously he's, Kev's good for a celeb, but man, I just I just don't know if he can body up in defense. <laughs> That's what I've got Jake Cole for. He's, he's yeah, going to be my defensive yeah. stopper. He's all about he's all about five foot two. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, there's not a lot of defense let, on my team. Let, let us know the holes in, in our game there. I'd be interested to hear everyone's thoughts on that. We'll put up a poll or something, maybe? Yeah, and who like who do you think wins? We'll, put, we'll do that. We'll put up a poll. I think if you're listening on Spotify, um, no stress if you're not. You know, we love all the platforms. But if you're listening on Spotify, we can throw up polls and Q&As mid-show now. So I'll throw up a poll and um, see who thinks would, would come out on top. So we've got Brad's taken Quavo, Adam Sandler and the Beebs. And I've got J. Cole, Lil Dicky, and Kevin Hart. Looking really? at that team, not super confident, I'll be honest with you. But you, you got really confident when you picked Cole I did, off the I start. I did, I did. Yeah. And, then, and I like Dicky. I just think Kevin Hart lets you down, man. It's, it's hard. It it's was it, slim pickings towards the yeah, end, I'll be it's, honest it's with e- you. It's easy to shoot a three when you're unguarded. True, very true. Um, but when you're five foot two and you got a man like fucking, you know, a, a proper defensive. And, you know, a veteran like Adam Sandler in your face, just calling you every name under the sun, just hitting you with that old school fucking comedy. Um, you know, I don't know if you're on your game. So we're we'll talking about a bit more basketball now. We've currently got the WNBA playoffs going on. Mm. The Chicago Sky beat the Connecticut Sun to make it to the finals. And we've got the Vegas Aces going up against the Phoenix Mercury. And I think it's a tied series at the moment. But we've got Liz Cambridge, obviously controversial Australian yeah. basketballer. They're looking pretty good. I've got a bit of a problem though, right? So Explain. obviously I'm a Chicago fan. I love the Bulls. I love the Bears. I love the Cubs. So obviously choosing the WNBA team, I was going to choose the Sky. Like it was a no-brainer. Yeah. Then this year, WNBA draft, they took Shyla Heal. Aussie chick, awesome player, going to be the truth in a few years. I was over the moon, right? Yeah. And then it came out that 
I think a month into the season, they just cut her. Didn't trade her, didn't do anything. It was on the way to a game at an airport. The coach just pretty much said, look, you're not coming. They did it really dirty. And I I wasn't a fan of that move at all. So I was like, you know what? I'm off the Sky bandwagon. I got to ride with Shiloh. I'll jump on the Aces bandwagon because I'm a big fan of Liz. Aya Wilson as well. Yeah. Of course, it's my luck that the moment I do that, Sky then go on to make the finals. Okay. So I'm hoping someone can knock them off because I'm not very happy with so, this. So who are they playing for now? The Aces? Shyla. Yeah. She's back in Australia at the moment. Okay. Okay. So she's back on Aussie soil. She's looking to make it. She's pretty young. I think she's probably my age or yeah. even a year younger. Okay. But yeah, pretty cool. tough going for it. The game's growing there for the women. It's so good to see. You know, you want to see that hype around the sport like it is for the guys and like we always speak about with the women's sport it really comes out of the fans and you know i'd say um to all the ladies and the gents that listen to this like if you want to see the female game succeed in any sport you got to support it so throw the telly on buy a ticket get around your team all the WNBA stuff's on ko so if yeah you, if you use that for your footy for your other sports it's right there yeah. at your fingertips shout out to ko if you want to sponsor the pod think about it yeah, that wasn't an ad, but it definitely yeah. could be. <laughs> yeah. Um, staying on the women's basketball side, the Opals also recently finished their campaign in the Asia Cup. They took home bronze, and Sammy Whittacombe was named in the All Star Five. So that was a, it was a bit of a redemption tour after they kind of flamed out at the Olympics. Yeah. Whittacombe was, a lot of people thought she should have been in the Olympic squad, yeah. including me. She was left off, but obviously proved her worth here. Yeah, it's you know we speak about it a lot too, Aussie sport is dominated by females at the moment and we love seeing our, our Aussie ladies just do our country proud and you know anytime you're claiming a medal in one of these series it's great to see and it does so much for the game down under which has got a lot of work to do you know we've got the fan base here um, but we just don't have the attendance and I think it's great to see you know the inspiration that young girls will take to you know put on a pair of sneakers and, and start fucking balling so um, love watching our girls succeed on the on the world stage Absolutely, mate. Just quickly touching on the MLB playoffs. I'm not a huge baseball fan. Brad's not a huge baseball yeah. fan. But we had one of the biggest rivalries in all sports. We had the Red Sox versus the Yankees in an elimination playoff game. And what a shit show it was. So for people that might not know, in every MLB stadium, they're all set up a bit differently. So at the Red Sox stadium, they have a gigantic red wall called the Big Red Wall. Really inventive naming. Yeah, they don't want in any other stadium, that's a home run. But in this, it just bounces right off the wall. And a big reason the Yankees ended up losing was they just hit so many balls straight into that red wall. So, It's like... it's like I almost think of this wall as that wall that Donald Trump was going to fucking build, you know? I don't know if he did build that or not, but maybe he took inspiration from the red wall. And it just sounds like the Yankees are almost like everyone trying to get into the USA and it's just not going to plan. And it's kind of like... You fucking, if you're not that team, you fucking hate them for it, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, you hate them for it. And I think that's that's wild to me, that there can be such a discrepancy in stadiums. Like, it's something that usually in most games would be so regulated. Yeah. Like, imagine going to <clears throat> fucking, going to Brooklyn, and they're like, the net's two foot higher. <laughs> it's like, sorry about that. To be honest, I reckon they should take it further, actually. They should start putting, like, moats in it and stuff. Yeah. They should make it, just make your thing a fortress. You've got to then... step over a landmine to get the first base. <laughs> You'll never lose because your players will know the field. It's You know what it is, though? It's, it's It'd be very nostalgic for any player because it's like backyard, right? Yeah. It's like we've all got that, in, especially in Australia with cricket, we've all got like that mate's backyard 
<clears throat> where it was just like surrounded by things that were do not hits and they were like automatic outs. And it's like your game had to be crafted around don't get fucking automatic wicked by the fucking 180 degrees of glass windows <laughs> that I cannot hit here. And like the fence is higher, so it's not a sick. Like I just think it's, it's very nostalgic. So maybe it's something that fucking they love over there in Boston. I don't know. We'll see how they go going through. All right, time for probably, I'd say it's going to end up being a lot of the viewers' favourite segments. If you've stuck with us this long, you don't just mm. love sports. I'm betting you love trying to earn a lot of money and probably losing a lot of money on sports. Yeah. We've got tip of the week with Dazza. Tip of the week. So let me just say, if, you know, if you've been lucky enough to know my old man, you know that he's like my best friend. And one thing that Daz loves more than absolutely anything in this world is um, probably just behind his kids and his family. But one thing he loves is having a punt on the ponies and, um, you know, a family, you know, him, his sister and his brother love their racing, um, been actively involved in it for years. And, you know, these days more so spectators and um, definitely weren't jockeys because dad's six foot and about 85 kilos of pure muscle. But um, he loves he loves to throw a tip. And the thing you come to learn about Dazza is um, his tips win 30% of the time every time. And... That's kind of the, the running joke of this. You know, are you lucky enough to, to make it big on one of those 30 percenters? So every week we will give you four tips from Daz. And actually this week he's thrown in a little bonus. Oh, an extra one. So yeah, we'll roll the, the intro for Daz's tip of the week where he's going to address you guys, the punters, and let you know what your chances look like. Alrighty, so we kick it off with Ramwick. Um, he's given us a couple of the back the back races um, of the meet there. Tomorrow, like we said, we're recording this Friday. You'll be hearing it Friday night. So this is really one for the early viewers, those Friday night loyal, loyal listeners and, and viewers and those people who jump up on a Saturday morning and just want to know how to make a few bucks. Like they say, the early bird gets the multi. That's it. That's it. I've heard that many times before. Um, so race five at Ranwick, we've got number two. Um, put it on the nose. Race eight at Ranwick, also number two, straight on the nose. Race nine at Ranwick, you're going to select number nine. You're going to have it each way. So hedge your bets, ladies and gentlemen. Be Switzerland, sit on the fence. Race 10, same thing, number seven this time, each way. And he's given us a little bonus, um, shooting down to Melbourne, um, my, old, my old hometown. Your old stomping for, ground. For about nine months where I was extremely miserable at that point in my life. <laughs> but he's gone with... Number nine, on the nose. And now, one thing that you'll you come to learn about Daz as you hear his rolling commentary from week to week is um, no good tip is great unless it's put in a big multi. And so what you're going to do is you're going to package up those five little goodies. You're going to put them in a multi. You're going to take some of them, those each-way chances for a place. You're going to take those winners on the nose. And you're going to put a couple of bucks on it. Now, one thing that he said, disclaimer, this is not professional betting advice um please consult your financial planner please speak to the accountant and the wife um or the girlfriend for that matter or the boyfriend or the boyfriend who knows um we've got many diverse and wonderful listeners and viewers of the show and just check how much you know you know gamble responsibly basically is what i'm trying to say um but there's very good chance that using dad's multi last week I actually wasn't able to put it on because the odds were 996,000 to one, which far exceeded my limit on TAB. Um, 
So if you are able to put that multi on this week, do it because it very very well may be the reason you get into the housing market in Australia. All right, so we're going to end every episode with a with a segment we like to call Hot Takes. Yeah. Sounds like it is. We're going to just pick something absolutely batshit crazy and put our entire reputation on it. Yeah. We were a bit bit loose with this when we started planning it, but I think we've decided we'll make them weekly ones. Yeah, I like that. Just so there's payoff instantly. I like that. I'm going to start us off with a crazy one. You're going to hate it. You guys are probably going to hate it. Fury vs. Wilder. I reckon Wilder knockout in round two. He's going to come out swinging. He's going to catch him, I reckon. Wow. That's big. That's big. It's got it's a hot you've, take. You've really put your balls on the line here. Your balls are almost fucking dangling from the ceiling like a pinata, just waiting to be fucking hit next week because I've, I'm so totally you know, in disagreement of that. Um, my hot take for the week. Now, now here's the thing, right? So uh, my hot take in our little pilot episode last week came very close. Three points shy. Um, you don't get points for close, yeah, though. Yeah, but, I, but I'd like to say that I'm on track, right? I'm on track. Um, my feelings this week is, is look, I'm pretty confident in Dad. Um, I, t- I said to him, I said, mate, last week was the pilot. This week is the big leagues. So I need 75% of those tips. Let's call it, let's call it four from five Ooh. to get across the line. So my hot t- take of the week is Daz's tips, four out of five. Put your money where your mouth is. I will be doing so, and I'll make sure that you guys see the bet slip next week. Look, that's the double driver guarantee. You can't yeah. really get more authentic than that, so Just, you heard the man. And I'll say, genetically, both thoroughbreds um, like the ponies that we back, so this week I, I feel really confident. It's going to be a good week on the wins. Let's do it. And that's it, really, isn't it? That's yeah. the show. Sorted it for this that's week. That's the show. Blokes and Their Balls, a show about three blokes um, who like sports balls i'll stop myself short of saying anything yeah, else there like um has nothing to do with anything else of a nature that you could find on the internet just sport um hope you guys really enjoyed the show remember to subscribe follow um share a lot to talk about around this is the umbrella um you know it's almost the foundation that we're building the city on top of um i hope you guys enjoyed catching a glance and, and a listen of jed in his first show, we're calling him Sports Guy. If you come up with a better nickname, something cool like the Captain, flick it through. Um, you know, my nickname has has really become me. Um, Be nice, please. Yeah. So, um, this is me, the captain of the ship, the man in charge, signing out. Jed, any final words? Nah, just best of luck with everyone this week, and we'll catch you in seven days' time. Yeah. Don't forget to engage. Send us your thoughts. Um, answer that little poll, and we're looking forward to seeing you guys in week two of Blokes and Their Balls. Au revoir.